0: Good morning. morning. I know some of you are traveling this week and are going to be with family, so you can't be here for the Christmas Eve service. So for those of you who aren't going to be here, I need to say something a little bit early, and that's Merry Christmas. So Merry Christmas to everyone. You actually are supposed to respond to that statement. It's culturally inappropriate for you not to respond when someone says Merry Christmas, especially in the church. And you are not to respond with Happy Holidays, you're to respond with Merry Christmas. So let's try this one more time to test your faith. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. There we go. Excellent. We've been uh, in this series unwrapping the names of Christmas, and uh, today we're talking about the name Emmanuel, as uh, we heard uh, from Rosella and Josh's reading in the Advent reading there. So uh, we're going to take that, we're going to look at the text from Matthew chapter 1, uh, whereby we see that. We see it earlier in the in the scriptures in Isaiah. This is a quote from Isaiah, but uh, we're not going to be looking at Isaiah today. We're going to be looking at Matthew. So Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. And I'm going to have you stand with me, please, in honor of God's word. Matthew 1, 18 to 25. <clears throat> now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Amen? God bless you. You can have a seat. Join me in prayer. God, we ask that the reading of this word and uh, our discussion of this word and our meditation on this word would be enriching to our soul, uh, mostly because it would give us a more clarity around who you are. And as we understand who you are, we'll understand our lives and we'll understand who we are. And, uh, God, we ask that you would transform us today in the discussion of this passage of Scripture. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, this weather, last few days, have you enjoyed it? Last couple days, yesterday was gorgeous. It was so nice yesterday that uh, the boys and I were out here playing basketball in in the parking lot over here. And it was actually dry. Uh, right underneath the the basket, and we were able to play, which was good because the boys just started playing basketball for the first time this year, so we were able to practice together. The day before that, I was out with Ray Flora. We went for a run. He called me up and said, "Hey, can, you want to go for a run?" So we went out for a run, and we're in the middle of the run. He's like, "Man, it's really warm," and I started laughing because that day it was 48 degrees, you know. And I was thinking, it's only after you know many many days in the 20s and 30s that we think 48 is warm, right? If this was another time of the year, we wouldn't think it's warm. Uh, perhaps if you follow the news or if you read a newspaper or, uh, or or anything of the sort, you may have heard of a guy, uh, this week, Phil Robertson Uh, heard of this guy. This is, uh, or uh, a TV show called duck dynasty. I don't know anything really about the, the TV show. I've never seen it. What I do know is, is that the man quoted something from scripture. Um, and I can't speak to the appropriateness or inappropriateness of anything he said, because I don't know the full story. But what I do know is that he quoted something from scripture and, Every time that I heard a little inkling of news or saw anything on the news, this guy's name seemed to pop up. And it had something to do with him quoting uh, a scripture having to do with sexuality and sin and that type of thing. And uh, so what shocked me, of course, not I shouldn't say what shocked me. What was interesting was that 10 to 15 years ago, had someone made a similar statement, it wouldn't have been a blip on the radar. No one would have noticed that someone's opinion of something the scripture says. But now, 10 to 15 years later, when someone makes a statement about morality based on the scriptures, it sets off a firestorm. And the reason is because 48 degrees feels really warm in the winter, but it feels really cold in the summer. And when we're in a season where we don't talk about morality, when we're in a season when we don't talk about the scriptures and there isn't a consistent pursuit of God, when theology is something that is rarely heard on the lips of anyone and when scripture is something that grows more and more foreign, when someone makes a bold statement about their faith based on something that's in the scriptures, all of a sudden what felt like a nice 48-degree day in the middle of winter feels like a freezing cold 48-degree day in the middle of summer. You understand? What does that have to do with Emmanuel? Well, what it has to do with Emmanuel is, see, this, is that when we say the word Emmanuel, typically what we want to hear is this, that God is with us. And that is a beautiful thing, isn't it? But it's not the most important thing about this statement. The most important thing about this statement is not that God is with us. The most important thing about this statement is that God is with us. See the difference between God is with us versus God is with us. There's a big difference. There's a difference between whether I'm excited about my life because God is with me or I am blessed by this statement because he is a with us kind of God. There's a big difference between whether I'm focusing on the character of God or whether I'm focusing on what it is that God has to offer me. You see, this is where we get off base all the time. It used to be very much a part of society that theologians and those who exegeted the Scriptures had a primary job, and that's about telling us who God is through the Scriptures. But more and more, even when it comes to Christian culture, we're less God-focused and we're more us focused, and therefore the teaching and preaching of the scriptures is much more applicationable, applicational because we've had a need, and a legitimate need, to see how the scriptures are relevant to us, because somewhere along the line, there was a disconnect, and we heard rote theology that didn't make sense to us or apply to our lives, and so slowly and surely, we began to capitulate to a culture where we had to dumb down the knowledge of God in order to gain awareness of how the Bible applies to my life. And we do need to know how the Bible applies to our life. But if my life is the focus of the Bible, then I've missed the point. God is the focus of the Bible. And I shouldn't worry too much when I'm approaching the Bible initially, how it applies to me. My first job should be, what does it say about God? Because God is so much more important than I am. And if I want meaning in life, and if I want to understand what our universe is about or how our society should operate, there's one thing I need to know. And it's not how the Bible applies to my life. It's first, who is God and what's he all about? And so when I hear the statement, God is with us, the first thing that should grip me is not that God is with me. It's that God is a with us kind of God. And that's something really important for me to know. It's something very, very important for me to know. You see, when it comes to doctrine and when it comes to theology, it's another one of those things in society where uh, we've got no place where it's hard for us to hear it. Sometimes when you go to teach something that's just doctrinal or just, I, I'm speaking from experience, you know, this is kind of part of my job. And when the, the more doctrinal or the more theological we go with teaching, the harder it is for people to hang on to it because it's not as easily applicational and what that means is is that there's there's less and less space in our brain and in our heart and in our spirit to receive things that we don't see directly initially how they apply to my life we've lost that season and because of that our understanding of god grows more and more limited And then when someone makes a statement that we don't quite understand, it can feel abrasive because we don't have the framework to understand it. Much like when some person who's apparently a, a dedicated Christian makes a statement about what they morally believe about something in society, people are like, what are you talking about? Because we're so far removed from the ability to understand God and how in the world that kind of statement could be a loving statement. Doesn't make sense. Okay, and that's the same thing that happens to us in the church. We become limited in our, in our ability to understand God, and therefore we become limited in understanding how God applies to our life. You know? And so this is what's amazing to me. Is how uh, it, there are there are many things in, in when it comes to theology and when it comes to our doctrine, when it comes to our belief in God, that are assumed in our lives. Well, of course we believe there's a God. The first word of Emmanuel is God. Of course we believe there's a God. Of course we believe that He came and He's with us. Well, you know what's interesting is I you know being raised in in a youth group connected to other kids as I look back at my life and look how many of those kids who I was raised with in a youth group and connected, how many of them still believe in Jesus? How many of them still believe in Yahweh? How many of them still believe that there is a God? It's astounding how few. It's astounding to me how few have a dedicated relationship with God, but it's also astounding to me that the things that we would have taken for granted, that were that were basic theological points that we would call the the orthodoxies of Christianity, the basics of Christianity, that the people who I was raised with in church have major questions in their mind about whether those things are true or not. Why? You know, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty to the tearing down of strongholds. And the strongholds are every presumption that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ. And what this means is that the enemy's primary job is he is trying to undermine the way we think and the way we believe in order to get us to a place where we live our lives in a way that me that thinks that God is not with us. And the more we live our lives that way, then the less we see the reality of God among us and therefore we're more susceptible to deception coming in around what we believe. And so while it would seem like someone was raised in the church, of course they know the basics of the faith and they won't turn away from it, we find that within a generation, very easily, someone who grew up in a dedicated Christian home no longer believes because the enemy is great at deceiving us. And what that means is it's very, very important that each time we see a passage of scripture like this, we don't rush to application, but we rush to saying, who is God? Can you say amen with me on that one? Okay, so here's the deal. In this passage, there's all sorts of things that it actually says to us theologically, and we won't look at all of them, but clearly it talks about a Trinitarian God because the Father is revealing himself through the Son and the Holy Spirit's the one who's conceiving this child, and and it shows the whole Trinity right here in the beginning. It shows that Jesus is fully God and that Jesus is fully man, something that's hard for us to comprehend, but he already lost us at the Trinity anyway. So we should be okay with faith at this point and believing that God can be, that Jesus can be fully God and fully man and that there are three persons in one, And as we hang on to those points, it becomes very important to our lives. And we'll apply that in just a minute. But the important thing here that I want to stop and see is that this whole thing of of, of virgin birth and this whole thing of Jesus being fully God and fully man, why does it matter? Because he is still completely God when he comes and is born on this earth. And that's a historical fact that God came and lived with us that speaks of his character. You know, I heard a... um, a podcast this week i heard a radio um broadcast uh, um with uh, if anybody know anything about uh, leading atheists in our in our world anybody can anybody say who the who potentially is the leading atheist in our world Richard Dawkins, okay. There was this great interview that I heard where there was this, there was Richard Dawkins and uh, a a, a theological professor, an Old Testament uh, theological prof from uh, a school, a seminary in England, and then uh, a liberal uh, Jewish rabbi um, who didn't believe in in literal interpretation of the text. This is not a joke. This is, seriously, this is what happened, okay? And so there's an atheist a rabbi and an evangelical Christian. And um, they're, they're in a conversation together on this radio show. And the reason that they had this interview was because, you know, last year there was a series that came out called The Bible came out on TV. Well, that just released a few weeks ago in England for the first time. And so they, these guys were having a discussion around the crazy God of the Old Testament who would do all of this sadistic things and all of that, okay? And what Richard Dawkins said, this atheist, is he said, you know, I really don't mind if people read the Old Testament so long as they understand what it is. It's a great novel, you know? And, and if they understand it as just good literature, well then I don't really care if if the God that's portrayed in that literature is crazy or not. The thing that bothers me is he said this, this is, I think this is a direct quote or very close to it. He said, because there's a bunch of people in America who read this book and take it literally and think that they should base their morals on it and live their lives according to it. And it's hindering my work as a scientist. To which the British theologian, said, I take great offense at that. I am not American. (laughs) The historicity of the Bible, the Bible is not a history book and it's not a science book. The Bible is the word of God. And yet contained within it is all sorts of clues that help us understand Many different aspects of life. If it's read just to be a science book, then we've misread it. If it's read just to be a history book, then we've misread it. We need to read it as the word of God. And then that word of God is better understood as we also look at science and as we also look at history. It helps us understand more and more of it. It helps us understand that when it talks about the four corners of the earth, it wasn't literal, that that was metaphorical because we understand that the world is round. Okay, it's okay to look at science, but we understand this is the word of God and that the authority of it can't change. What this means is this, is that there was literally 2,000 years ago a little baby born in a town that we can still go to today, called Bethlehem, and there this little child was born, and no, born not of man's desire, but born of the intention and the spirit of God. In Hebrews eleven, chapter three, or Hebrews chapter eleven, verse three, we are told that those things which can be seen were made from that which cannot be seen. And that's true of the origins of our world, but it's also true of a baby born in Bethlehem. One who we could see. The God who had not been seen before could now be seen. And this little baby in flesh was made not from things that we can see, not from Joseph, but was made from the one we can't see, God the Father. And that theological statement should speak volumes to us, not just about the origins of the world, but about the character of the God who we worship. That he is a with us kind of God rooted in historic reality, that he invaded the darkness of this world and that which could not be seen became known to us because this light came and pierced the darkness and that is a spectacular realization now how does that apply to my life (laughs) okay it does actually come and give me warm fuzzies and help me in some way Because it is that he's a with us God, but what does that mean? Well, it also means that God is actually with us. And the fact that I believe it as a historical reality and a fact that's present means that it wasn't just that he was God with us when he came that day. It means that he is God with us right now. And that even though Jesus ascended into heaven, see, the truth doesn't change because he is a with us kind of God. And that means that He's still with us right now, which is insanely important when it comes to my life. How's that important? How's it important to know that He's with me? Well, it should be important when I go to turn on my TV set today and I don't have to, I don't have to get the Bible out. Well, I do have to get the Bible out, but I don't have to search the scriptures and say, where does it tell me which channel I should and shouldn't watch tonight? Instead, I can say, you know what? God's With me. And he can help me figure that out. Because I'm not just following some random words that I can't figure out how they apply to my life. What I can actually do is say, Jesus, you are here on this couch with me. What do you want to watch tonight? What do you want to watch tonight? And maybe I will search the scriptures to understand his character. Maybe I will look at his commandments to understand what it is that he is teaching me. And maybe in the process, it will affect my life. When I get down to balance my checkbook and to make a budget for next year, maybe I can actually believe that God is with me. And this isn't just a religious exercise of trying to do what's right. But beyond that, this is actually a relationship where I'm in a budget-forming process with the God of the universe who actually owns the cattle on a thousand hill and tells me that he will provide for me, but I also have to submit to him. And he's with me right here, helping me form my budget. Perhaps even more friendly to us is the thought that in those moments when I feel incredibly alone, when I've lost a loved one, or when my spouse and I are not seeing eye to eye, or when I've been hurt by friends, and I am tempted to take on a tone that is unhealthy for my life and is not helpful for the body of Christ, there's a moment. Where inside, I want to listen to the enemy and hear his voice say, you are alone and no one understands. But if I will take God at his word, that he is Emmanuel, God with us, then I will choose to feel something different right now. That I am not alone. That I do not need to be depressed or despairing. That I can have great joy. Because tonight, the God of the universe is at my side and in my heart. And I am not alone. He is God with us. Again, that's where we say amen. Amen. All right. Awesome. So he is God, a with us kind of God. He is God with us. But there's one other thing, at least here, that we've got to show. And that's that God with us isn't just God with us in the sense that he's present. There's this great verse in Romans 8. It says, if God is with us, who can be against us? See, this kind of with us isn't just a with us that's like, he's here. It's like, no, he's on our team. Now, you know, picture, picture the Israelites of old who are called to fight the the Midianites or the Amalekites or the Philistines. And they go into battle, and they're, they're watching this mass army, you know, and they're scared to death of them. And they break a couple pitchers and blow a few horns, and all of a sudden the whole army kills each other, you know. Or picture when when Joshua is going into the promised land and all of a sudden hailstones start to fall down on the enemy and they're falling everywhere except on us. And then we realize that God's not just present. He's on our team. He's with us. And all of a sudden, what I would be afraid of, I'm no longer afraid of because I believe that God is with us. And who is our enemies? Is it those unbelievers out there who don't know God yet? Well, of course not. I would hope not because there's still unbelief in my heart. And there was a moment when I had not stepped across the line. And thank goodness that those who spoke the message to me didn't see me as an enemy, but as a brother who needed to be brought in. You know? Who is the enemy? The devil (laughs) is the enemy. Real clear. And his job is to speak lies into our life that get us to not believe. And what does he want us to not believe? That he is Emmanuel, God with us. That's what he wants us not to believe. Okay? Because he wants us to be afraid. And where perfect love is, there is no fear. And he can control us through fear. So when I'm afraid financially, I make decisions that are not based in faith. And when I'm afraid emotionally, I don't interact well with other people because I'm not living in the confidence of being a child of God. And when I'm afraid of my circumstances, then I don't have joy and peace despite my circumstances. And I am not a peacemaker and a joy bringer because I'm afraid and trying to control my circumstances. There's this whole bumper sticker I remember when I was uh, in high school. And the extreme sports thing was just kind of coming into being in a in a whole new way when I was in high school. And there was these bumper stickers that had two small little words that would be on the back of big pickup trucks with big tires. Anybody know what those two words were? No fear. Okay? No fear. I am fearless. I can jump off a 2,000-foot cliff and not die. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. However, there is actually a no fear formula and that's that the agape God is with me. And when he cares for me, I have no reason for fear. He can send the hail when there needs to be hail. He can part the Red Sea when it needs to be parted. When I reach down into the depths of the earth to help someone who I don't know how to help, he says that he will bear the fruit of the spirit in my life. I don't need to have fear. And it alleviates fear when I believe that God is not just a with us God, and God is not just present with us, but God is also with us. In other words, God is for us. And as we go on behalf of God, working with God, we have God Almighty on our side. And that should alleviate all fear, if we had any to start with, and we all have. (laughs) Last thing is this is that, uh, you know, of course, the faith that is is in us, uh, faith is the essence of things unseen, the presence of things hoped for. And what that means is, is this immaterial God, this this God who we can't actually see, this invisible God, I should say, this invisible God it, who who comes and brings this child here. No one's ever seen God, but then this child comes. What he's saying is, is our faith, blessed are those who haven't seen and yet still believe, it's those of us who believe in that invisible thing that can't be seen, but believe in it as a present reality. And what it means is, is that our job in faith is, is this. God is Emmanuel with us. My job is to believe that he's actually with me. Now, what that means is this, is that I'm actually with God, okay? Faith is I'm with God. There's this beautiful thing about understanding the doctrine of incarnation, of seeing him invade, and that's, and that's this. One of the other things that's super important to, to see in this, this doctrine, this theology, is, is it's very simple, is that there's a, there's a statement all across our world that says, everybody can find God in their own unique way, Right? And this incarnation doctrine says, no one can find God. God finds us. And he does it in his own unique way. Because if humans were writing the story, who would have ever thought up the most brilliant idea of the king of the universe being born in a stable and in a manger? That's just way too genius to be a human who wrote that story. And we know it because every other religious story that's, that's outside of the authority of Yahweh across the, the pages of religious history, none of the stories come with their God being something less than someone carrying thunderbolts and coming with power and breathing fire and putting fear into their hearts of their people. Instead, in this picture, we see the character of God, who is a God who's coming to a child who's been abused, who's been hurt, who's done things they shouldn't have, and they're in deep fear. And he lowers himself way down and begins to whisper very quietly so the child won't be afraid. And he says, humanity, I'm going to come in a manger instead of in a palace because I want you to hear my voice. And if he talked big and if he talked loud, of course we would be afraid, but we already were afraid. What he needed was for us to hear him. And so we get small. And it's by grace that he lowers himself and takes on the form of a servant and comes to us and meets us. But it's by grace that we are saved through faith. And that faith is our part to actually believe that God is with us. And I don't mean just to believe it in an abstract theological way, but to believe it that right now, Right here, in this spot, in this moment, Jesus is present with us in the form of the Holy Spirit. That we are not alone in this room. That God Almighty is here. He hears these words. He knows our thoughts. He knows our fears. And he wants to come into the manger of each of our lives. Quietly. Subtly. And say, "Don't, don't freak out. I love you. I'm here. There's this wonderful thing about that picture. And it's the, here's the bookends of Jesus' life. When he shows up, initially, he shows up and he's called Emmanuel, God with us. And at the very end of the life of Christ, here he is after he's died and he's resurrected and he's standing on a hill and he's speaking to his disciples. And he tells them something. Go and make disciples of all nations, <clears throat> baptizing them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Behold, I am Emmanuel always, even to the end of the age. And what he's saying is... I left the celestial palaces of heaven and made tabernacle here on earth. Became the the meeting point of heaven and earth so that all who didn't know God could see God walk among them. But now I'm calling you to be the tabernacle, to be the living temple, the stones built together, the spiritual house. You are called to be this tabernacle, the meeting place. You now, here on earth, are the vessel of Emmanuel, God with the earth. This is incumbent upon you to fulfill the mission. And as you take on manger life, as you take on Advent life, as you jump into the mission, I will always be with you. How many of you have experienced that in the moments when we step into mission? In the moments when it's no longer just about how God applies to me, but I become part of the application of this doctrine of the with us God, and I step into the mission and I engage in it, it's in those moments that you most experience Emmanuel, God with us. You know, for me, it's the testimony uh, of my uh, coming to Christ and coming into ministry was when a buddy grabbed a hold of me and dragged me out onto high street when it used to be a cruise strip and asked me to do street evangelism with him. And I said, you're a crazy nut. And he dragged me out anyway. And I went with him. And we went out to the cruise ship. And I had no idea what I was doing. But I just started talking to people about my faith. And in the process of that, I watched God do spectacular things in people's lives. And I watched people on their knees with tears flowing onto the sidewalks of Pottstown. Man, I think that the stains of those tears are still there. And I know that the impact that it had on my heart is still there. Because on those days... God went from being a theology and a doctrine to being a living, powerful, present God who I saw at work. And then I wanted to follow him. And then I wanted to experience more of him because he was alive and he was with us and he was for us and he moved on our behalf and he threw fear out of our lives as we began to embrace the mission that he started by leaving heaven and coming into a manger to show us that God is with us. And he invites us to join the process. And to say, you want to experience more of me? You want to know more of the with us God? Then become more of the process of the manger God. Who steps down. And who says, as you've done the least of these you've done unto me. Engage. Engage. Let my life be about the mission. And as it is. I will find the with us God showing up every time. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.